Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Indeed. Hey, good morning. This is Rescue Radio. Move to a new place in time. So let's pray and uh, welcome to all you morning listeners. Uh, we're glad that you can join us today and we're hoping that more of you will find us as we have kind of moved from our evening spot. Father, we thank you for this gorgeous day. We thank you for sunshine. We thank you that you are the Lord God, that you are good, that you are holy that you are in control of all things. And we pray that your will be done, O God, in and through us this day as it's being done and declared in heaven. And Lord, as your will be done, give us wisdom, give us counsel, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive the revelation of your spirit, your encouragement, your direction, your truth, because you said you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. We thank you for truth. We thank you for freedom. We thank you for... uh, that love that takes away fear, perfect love that casts out fear. Thank you for dying on the cross, for raising from the dead. Thank you for giving us the truth about who you are and what's really going on. And Father, I pray that you'd give us wisdom to know that and that we'd rest our hope fully in you, that you'd remove from us the spirits of torment and anxiety, Father. There's a lot to life and a lot to living on this planet, and we cannot do it without you, Lord. So we thank you now for the promises that you've given us, promises of eternal life, promises that you never leave us or forsake us, and the promise of divine protection. So you cover us, Lord God, in our words, our conversations, our relationships, our communications, our thoughts, the meditations of our hearts, for ourselves, our family members, those who work for us, pray for us, and love us, those who have come to us for help, that you cover and keep us, Lord God, that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken by the enemy will be able to bring forth any shame, trouble, or reproach. I thank you, Lord, for giving us divine direction and that we, as the work of your, the workmanship of your hands, will be created and completed to your glory and for your delight, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And I ask, Father, too, that I would speak as the oracles of God and that you give people uh, inspiration and encouragement through this time together. Amen. Well, you know, the emergencies that we're living in, the, this world, this life, is a constant, constant challenge, a constant pressure, a constant emergency, and the emergencies are and the and the crises uh, are so vast, um, so subtle, so vast, so continuous that it, it's it's very des- it's designed really to cause people to I think um, well I don't even think I know I see it all the time to lose hope, to lose hope in their lives, in their God, in their families, in their futures. And so if you have anything you want to add to this discussion today, please feel free to call us at 347-215-8051, 347-215-8051. We're going to be talking about a variety of things today, but kind of like, I don't know what word we could hang it on, if we hang it on wisdom or hope or purpose or meaning or truth. Or they're all kind of the same, um, bringing us to the place of understanding what is really going on in this world and in our crazy life. Okay, so um, 
you know, sometimes people get really weary, um, you know, I don't know about you, but tired of waiting for things or busy, staying busy while you're waiting or even worse than that probably is wondering what in the world is going on. Why are these things happening? Why um, doesn't anything ever go right in my life? And um, uh, Or not for long. I mean, some people, they believe, well, it's going to go right, but in a few minutes the second shoe is going to fall and we'll go back to the cycle again of, you know, struggling and crisis and attack and trouble. So we have questions like, why nothing ever changes or no one ever changes or nothing ever changes very much. That's a big one. We are all destined or determined, I guess is a better word, to change. I want to change this. I want to lose this weight. I want to, you know, I want to, you know, shrink a couple dress sizes. I want to, you know, this year I'm going to change this. I'm going to stop doing that. We're trying so hard to quit what we cannot seem to stop. And the changes are just, um, that's really a torture rack. You try to get on that rack of, okay, it's up to me, take control, discipline myself, um, monitor this, pay attention to that, you know, try harder. And it, it ends up being more of an ultimate disappointment, failure, frustration. And so the word change or trying to change also becomes a part of the process of futility, which then begins to ask the question, why me? I give up. I don't get it. What's how do I fix this? What's going on? So this why me, you know, can turn. You look up to guys and say, why me, God? You know, I'm trying to do the things right. I'm trying to live right. I'm trying to be, uh, you know, whatever, accountable, uh, whatever. And so these bad things keep happening to me. So there are, you say, well, is there, a, is there a, anything but chaos and random chance and bad luck that's happening here? Is there any real reason for these things? And, of course, we've discussed that a lot of times about, the curses and the curse without a cause does not come. I really believe if I could impart one thing to you today, it's to start reading your Bible with in, and in earnest. Don't just read it as a part of a program or a Bible study or uh, you've got to fill in the blanks in your Bible study booklet so you have to read six chapters. Or so. Just read it for yourself and read it in earnest. And don't think that filling in those blanks on that Bible study booklet is going to help you unless you really that really goes into your heart. It, this is not an exercise in holiness. This is the actual life uh, pursuit of holiness. And so it's not practicing, it's pursuing in and through the Holy Spirit. Actually, a lot of people, I think, they overlook the greatest asset they have in their lives, and that is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in them. Once you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, and that becomes He becomes your guide your strength, your counselor, your um, encouragement, your connection with eternity, your link to hope and eternal life and love of God. And yet most people, they don't even pay any attention to the Holy Spirit. He's just, an, he's just a non-entity, really, a very undeveloped concept in our minds that we don't really um, consider or see as a person that we can actually have a dialogue with, that we can actually talk to, that we can actually say, Holy Spirit, guess what? I can't do this. I know you're in there. What are you, what are you doing? What are you, you're here under the, the, um, the direction of God himself to perfect that which concerns me, to help me, to lead me into all truth. And 
of course, there's problems even with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I don't speak in tongues yet, or I don't want to speak in tongues, or I don't believe in speaking in tongues. Do I still have the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is part of the salvation package, whether or not you ever speak in tongues. That's that's a nice option. And it's a useful, very useful um, uh, tool, if you will, in in tight spots. You can pray uh, in the in the, and through the Holy Spirit rather than trying to figure out in English what you're going to say. So, um Again, if you have any discussion, 347-215-8051, get on the line, give us a quick call, and we'll talk. That sounds like a, a good idea to me. So we go back to the questions of why, what's going on, what's going to happen. That's another whole set of can of worms. What is going on? In that set of questions, you can say, okay, um, you know, I'm just going to mind my own business. Um, I don't want to get too political. I mean, that political arena out there is nuts, crazy. It's absolutely very, very uh, manipulated and controlled, very orchestrated, very planned out. It's probably been planned out for the whole time, even for the next, you know, 10, 15 years to come, whatever's left. The whole thing has been orchestrated pretty much, and um, it's controlled by the enemy. So you say, well, what good is that? Then what am I going to do? How do I take a stand for God? Um, if do I dare take a stand? I'm scared to take a stand for God. I don't know what you know. There's a lot of confusion, and so you say, "Well, I'm just going to, you know, fold my hands and mind my own business and try to escape as much as possible. Try to ignore what's really going on as much as I can. Just going to try to get through this. This is not. That is not the uh, objective of living on planet Earth is to just see if you can get by and get through it. We're here for a reason and a purpose. And until you embrace yourself and the reason God has you here and, and get into that calling, get in sync with what God has for you, you will feel unfulfilled and unhappy. And not that God's course is easy all the time. If you take the apostles, for example, Paul, um, God even said when he was talking to Ananias, uh, the guy who was going to pray for him so Paul's eyes would be opened after he was blind for three days. He says, I will sh- I will show him what what great things he must, must suffer for me. And so it's already kind of written, if you will, in our life plan by the Lord, and yet God sends his Holy Spirit so that we can complete the course with his victory without fear. So what's going on? What's going to happen? That's another good question. We've got everybody with a, you know, books and books and books on what's going to happen and what's the order of things and when's there going to be the rapture when is it now is it then is it before the moon after the moon is it what you know is it before this the 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 ezekiel war what are they yeah what is it when is it we don't know but the end is near it's always been near two thousand years ago um they lived as if they were in the last days um and that's why they just didn't consider this temporal life as something they had to store up for, prepare for. As a matter of fact, they sold a lot of their goods, had things in common, and devoted themselves to the work of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why it took off. They had unity, and they had a, they had contentment. They weren't pursuing earthly gains. They weren't trying to develop their 401ks and their life retirement pl- their uh, retirement plans and their um, you know, their nest eggs. They weren't trying to uh, uh, manipulate the markets and play the stock. They weren't trying to do any of that stuff. They were just dynamic, intense, and filled with the Holy Spirit. Their lives were absolutely full of life. 
full of meaning purpose. Sure, they got slammed and slapped and the enemy tried to stop them in many ways. But you, you also saw the great hand of God's deliverance just orchestrating where only God could orchestrate um, protections and deliverances and miracles. I mean, that was a common everyday kind of thing. Um, even even uh, in the early church, people were getting raised from the dead. People were getting walking and leaping and praising God. People were getting healed um, they even sought the very shadow of Peter to, to to lie there. So they were believing there was some, I don't know if they thought it was a magic power, but it was a mighty power uh, in, in these people because they were so connected with God. And, and this is where we are now. They were in the beginning of this church history. And now we're sort of in wrap-up stages of the church history. And now it's, you know, the last few moments of the movie are usually the most intense. You know, they've got to get the climax. They've got to get the conclusions. And, and it's usually those last three to four minutes of the movie where every all the action is. And so we're kind of in the last three or four minutes of the movie, I'd say. And we're in the in that mode where you either get in or, you, you know, get on the sidelines and get out of the way. But I would suggest that nothing is going to please you more than to be in the perfect resting will of God, because that will of God brings a place of rest. It it also brings a place of change. You know, the things you can't do, the things, it's like we are not designed to perfect ourselves. Um, all this self-help and self-improvement is a bunch of gobbledygook, waste of time, makes a lot of money for the bookstores, the authors, the, the publishers, but it, it really doesn't work because all it really does, and you've seen it, you've been there, you've done it, that the motivation in you to be uh, be perfect, be perfected, be all that you can be. That motivation comes from God. But the enemy is using that motivation to frustrate you and to also make you a target. Because if you don't understand the war, uh, stepping out into the into the front lines and not understanding there is a war going on is pretty dangerous. I mean, soldiers are not sent to the front lines until they are trained and they know their weapons, they know the objective, they know what the enemy looks like. And and so, again, you can get that preparation through the Holy Spirit, through reading the Word of God. The, the steps to greatness really are very simple. It's obedience to the Holy Spirit, obedience to do what God says, obedience to the Word. But going through still some of the questions, what, you know, um, uh, when's this going to happen? When's this going to end? I don't live my life according to when this is going to end. I live my life with the grace that is sufficient for today. If you can rejoice today in the glory of God, if you can rest today in the, the generosity of God, the, the faithfulness of God, the goodness, resting and rejoicing, those are the two R's we're looking for, really, for today. Then this day has been a victory. This day is well done. You know, each day can be well done. But this day is well done because you've rested, you've completed the tasks, even if they you have to drag a few of those things over to tomorrow. What was meant to be accomplished today was accomplished today, and you rest in the in the in the goodness of God and in His His uh, a pleasure in what you've done. And there's peace. There's not that dichotomy. There's not that agitation. There's not that that interference with guilt. And I could have, should have, and if I only would have. That's that sense of inadequacy or failure or responsibility that I didn't take or should have done or whatever. It's not about you and it's about not about us figuring out how and what we should have done. It's about walking in the spirit. It's about abiding. It's about being okay. And I think the greatest victory nowadays is to walk through this day that you are in being 
at peace and being okay, no matter what the devil throws at you. And a lot of you are living in stuff the devil's thrown at you from generations back. I mean, he's got all kinds of, you know, agreements through the generational uh, bloodlines, the curses that he can bring uh, forward. And if you're curious about those, I mean, we've talked about those on some of the other shows. We could go on and on and on about all this stuff, and there's a lot. But you can always give us a call and uh, either set up a personal appointment to do some counseling to break those generational curses. Uh, Our number is, um, um, the office number for those kinds of appointments is um, 763-785-4234. We do, we work with spiritual warfare, uh, generational curses, all kinds of bondages, lies that people are in. You name it. We do it. We work with it. And God is faithful. So that's 763-785-4234. That's our office for life recovery. Now, so you go back to the questions, the big questions. um, Where am I going to end up? You know, am I saved enough? A lot of people are thinking they can be saved and then lose their salvation and they have to get get saved again or they don't have an assurance of salvation. The first things aren't even in place. And if your first primary issues are not resolved like salvation, then everything else continues to slip out of place. It says in the Bible, it says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the Lord God, of course, the one true God, Jesus Christ, his son, whoever shall, shall confess that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, basically, and believes that, confesses with his mouth and believes in his heart, is saved. That's Romans 10, 9, 10, and 13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, have you ever called upon the name of the Lord? Well, yes, probably you have. And so what prompted you to do that? But now the devil is disregarding that and saying, well, that was nothing. That was trivial. That was you just did that in a moment of uh, of um, panic. That wasn't really uh, genuine. Um, you're not really saved. Well, all you need to do to reassure and to, to validate and confirm this salvation of yours is just to cry out to the Lord and say, God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe he rose from the dead. People make getting saved so complicated. I mean, it's like there are some, you know, it's like, um, how hard is it to call on the name of the Lord? Well, the devil says it wasn't good enough. Somebody else says, well, you've got to do this. You've got to get baptized. You've got to genuflect. You've got to do holy water. You've got to, you know, and then you never, never, never really, really know for sure because God might not keep his word. Um, and that's an insult to God, isn't it? To say, well, yeah, I did everything you said, but God, I'm still not sure because, you know, I mean, well, maybe you're good, God, but I've probably did it wrong somehow. I, I have a tendency to do things wrong and Therefore, I'm disqualified because I didn't do it right, didn't do it perfect. And God isn't, isn't saying there's a perfect way. Just He says, just call on me. So how many people are losing their life, living their life lost or saved, but living their life as if they're lost because they don't know the Bible. They don't know the word of God. They don't know that. They don't even know if they can trust God. Who can I trust? Can I trust God? Well, you look at the Bible, you know, you've listened to what people have said, then rather than going after it yourself and looking for what it says, you you listen to the experts, the professionals, the, the priests, the pastors, the scholars, the theologians, and you read their books, and they don't even agree with each other. You listen to the, the Christian TV stations, and what a muddy mess that is. 
I do not recommend you listen to any of that because the one true morsel that you might find out of that, unless you know the person and that's the person you are truly led by the Lord to listen to, don't listen to Christian. Don't look to that for your edification because it's going to train you in a bunch of garbage, really, because it's so carnal, it's so worldly, it's so contradictory, it's so hypocritical, and it's just not going to feed your spirit. It might feed your carnal man, and then you're going to feel bad about your carnal man being so strong and well-developed when your spirit man is so lost and confused. So I would say take the time that you're going to watch that television and read the Bible instead. Go back into the Word of God. Just humble yourselves before the Lord and say, what, what's going on? You know, what's, what is my life supposed to look like? Basically, it's intended by the Lord to be full of His love, His promises, His joy, and simplicity. We've made lives here, you know, in this highly technical, uh, industrial, industrial complex, 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 complicated world, uh, you know, with everything. You've got a zillion numbers attached to your name, you know, your date of birth, your social security number, your credit card numbers, your your visa numbers, your MasterCard, your, uh, numbers, 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 you know, uh, confirmation numbers, uh, loan numbers. I mean, you're just, you're just a number. But God doesn't see you as a number. He sees you as a name, a person with a name. And he also sees you as having to live in this very crazy world. So let's keep it simple. Let's keep it quiet. And that includes, you know, we won't go off on the tangent, but even the way you dress, the way you eat, the way you live, keep it quiet, keep it simple. Don't try to um, grasp after everything out there looking for some way to complete yourself because more than likely it's just going to wear you out you get your strength from the lord you get your strength from the word of god from the holy spirit that dwells inside of you and some of you have very busy lives you have children of course they're very busy so you multiply your busyness times however many kids you got and that's exponential because they've got they've got school and they've got sports and they've got drama teams and they've got you know uh, dance and band and choir and you know tests and college and you know, and really, all of this is really designed simply to distract us from the simplicity of the gospel, simplicity in Christ. So then you ask, well, okay, who am I? Well, if you don't know who you are in the midst of all this, you will really be swallowed up and swirled around. We are. We are what the Bible says. Again, we go back to Genesis. You can find it almost all in Genesis. Um, made in the image of God, created by God in God's image, basically, to love what God loves and hate what God hates. So God loves holiness. He loves righteousness. He loves purity. He loves goodness. He loves justice. He loves mercy. He loves love. He loves truth. And he hates sin and he hates injustice. And, of course, the world is full of sin and injustices, which then create hurt, which creates offense, which creates the problems and the and the pulling away and the breaking of relationships and bitterness and all kinds of things. So we need to, if I can use that word, it is well if we under, understand what Jesus said when he said, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. When people offend you, which they will, he says it, it is impossible that offenses won't come. They're going to come. But what are you going to do with them? That's your opportunity to to give it to the Lord, to forgive that person, turn the crimes over to Jesus, let him judge it so you don't have to carry it, and so you don't have to bear 
the, the retaliation of the enemy who will judge you for judging them. And this keeps your life a lot more simple. Forgive. It's not worth it. Is, is any of that bitterness you're carrying right now against any person, is it worth going to hell over? Think about it. Is it worth it? To stay mad at them for 20 years, is that worth losing or possibly losing your salvation? I remember when I was first saved, and this is pretty remarkable that I can remember that far back. But anyway, because it's been a long time. Uh, when I first got saved, we were coming out of the um, the hippie movement and got saved through the Jesus movement. And uh, we ended up, because we knew so little about anything, obviously most people end up in something like this, in a very legalistic, religious church. It was very small, very strict legalistic. As a matter of fact, so legalistic that the women were forbidden to wear anything that appeared to be men's apparel. So all jeans, all pants, all shorts were gone. You could only wear skirts and that was it, dresses. And um, even if you were cleaning the, ho- the horse barn, I mean, you had you, there was no excuse. You could not. Even your babies, if they were female, could not wear pants. I mean, this is like, okay, because it's an abomination to God. So our, our first concept or introduction to God was that he's crabby. He's uh, really into the dress code, and uh, you better not trespass because that is he has no tolerance. God has no tolerance for breaking that rule. And so I, I, but my spirit was grieved, although I didn't know it was my spirit that was grieving. I thought it was just you know me, um, and I was really upset with the pastor's wife, who is now passed away, but her and her husband had this little legalistic Pentecostal church. And of course, because my husband and I knew nothing about what God really said, because we had never been really introduced to the Bible. Um, I was Catholic, he was Lutheran, and neither one gets much of the Bible. Anyway, I was walking outside the church one Sunday morning. As a matter of fact, I would, when she preached, which she often did, especially after her husband passed away, she kind of took over the church. She'd preach, and I would either hide out in the nursery, which was the size of a small closet, with my our oldest daughter, just to get out of range of her bellering voice and sit there and cry out, God, what is going on here? Just give me wisdom. Just give me wisdom. And I was crying out for wisdom. And I remember that. I remember crying out for wisdom in that little closet nursery. And But, but one day I was walking outside the church. I think it was after church on a Sunday and walking on the sidewalk. And um, maybe I had escaped the sermon again going outside with the, my child to keep, keep her quiet or whatever. And I always liked to escape. That was good, bad, but good. Anyway, I heard this audible voice in my head saying, is she worth going to hell over? Is she worth going? being bitter at her, staying mad at her, judging her, resenting her? Because I could start to, I was starting to see what was really going on and, of course, I had no power to do anything about it, really, at that point. And is she worth going to hell over? That's what the Lord said to me. And I popped back and said, no, absolutely not. So at that moment, um, I inadvertently defeated a spirit of bitterness because I canceled out an agreement with them because he was trying to build that agreement in me through all these he was constantly building his case against her in my mind so that I'd stay mad at her. Now, I'm sure you might have somebody in your life like that. Uh, they've hurt you, a, a, a parent, uh, a spouse, 
uh, a child, you know, a, a boss, uh, the president, you know, <laughs> someone that you're, you know, you're feeling um, incredibly offended by and think that you have to stay mad at that person. Uh, that's what bitterness is. It's, it's a, it's a um, declaration. It's a declaration that I'm going to stay mad at you until you admit you're wrong, until you apologize, until you repent. And, you know, a lot of times that isn't going to happen because they're probably dead and they don't even know you're mad at them in the first place. So rather than holding a grudge and making that your life's goal to carry this bitterness, this grudge all through your life like a jagged burden on your back, why don't you give it to the Lord and say, God, you judge it. You are the judge anyway, and you're righteous and you're fair. You judge this matter. I'm going to trust that you're going to do a good job of it. And all I want out of this whole thing, Lord, you know the offense, you know the crime, you know the the failure on their part to love me or to give me what was rightfully mine. You know it. So I'm not going to, I'm going to present my case to you and I'm going to say, Lord Jesus, you're my advocate, you're my attorney, you're my defender, and God, you're my judge, Father. And so you bring justice and restore unto me everything that's been stolen from me because, of course, he will because he cannot not, because he is the righteous judge of all the earth. And can he do wrong? And will he acquit or uh, pardon the wicked? No, no, and no. So now I don't have to carry that burden with me, and I'm free to rejoice. I'm free to participate. I'm free to pay attention to what God has for me. Um, And if you do it that way, you're going to carry a lot less burden with you, and you're going to be a lot more free to... um, uh, just rejoice and enjoy your life. So that's who we trust. We trust God. We trust the righteous judge. He remembers these things. He marks them down. He has good records. He keeps good records. His angels got everything written down, including all the names in the book of life and all those that have been blotted out of the book of life. Interesting enough, record, record keeping. So how will this ever end? Well, it's going to end if you follow the Lord and listen to the Holy Spirit. It's going to end good. It's going to end great, excellent, full of triumph. As a matter of fact, you know, in this day and age when I think there are more people who seem to be dying than ever, dying younger, being snatched out of this world, um, so somewhat, sometimes so, with such meaningless, in such simple, um, unexpected ways, that we can start to say, oh, how scary, how terrible. Well, Here's my look at this my, from the other point of view, the per, in, eternal perspective. Anybody who gets called home right now who's um, walking with the Lord or loves Jesus, um, they've just been promoted. You know, I know it's hard for those left behind. We're not dismissing that pain and that freak out and sadness and scared and all that stuff. But don't feel bad for the ones who left if they went to heaven, just you know, rejoice with them and be happy for them because, um, and maybe God is using them up there to get something ready for all of us when we get there. You never know. But so I, I have to look at all this death and destruction and uh, martyrdom of the children and the um, bombings and the plane crashes and the uh, senseless annihilations and the, the, uh, the, the, terroristic attacks against people 
Uh, that is the loosing of, I believe, one of those horses, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I think one was, um, uh, maybe it was the red one, I think, which took peace from the earth. And it's like, that's where we're at. There is a, but if you if God is keeping you in a place of peace, and you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can walk in that peace, that peace comes from within you first. It isn't necessarily a peace in your household that you have to maintain. You don't take your your direction from your circumstances. You direct your circumstances by by what's going on within you, and that's why we cannot be compromised or convoluted from within. And, and sh- you know, not we need to give our bodies um, what our body needs to be loyal to us and provide for us a safe and healthy home so that we can be strong in the Lord and the power of his might with whatever he calls us to do. And I know some people are called into suffering. I don't know if they're called into it, but they're in it. Um, I think that the uh, some people are suffering unnecessarily. Um, some people actually embrace Suffering as their cross to bear. Um, suffering is an opportunity to. Um, it says, "He who suffers has ceased from sin." So it's an opportunity to uh, meditate, go look within, allow the Lord to strengthen you. If you're in pain right now, today, some of that pain is not from God. And if it's not from God, don't attribute it to God. It might be a demonic judgment that's coming at you through guilt, feeling that you're unworthy. But if you know the love of God. Really, healing comes through knowing the love of God. Truth brings freedom. Love brings healing. And knowing that God loves you. And you, if you can understand this, that you wouldn't do that sort of thing to your own child, then why would God, as your Heavenly Father, do that to you? But because you don't understand what's going on, then the concept of God as Father is very perverted and confusing to many of us. And so we don't realize that it's His pleasure, His good pleasure to give us the kingdom. So we go on with, um, you know, will this ever end, the pain, the the frustration, the failure? Um, then we have the question, what should I be doing? What should I be doing? Should. Well, there's no shoulds with God, I don't believe. I believe the, it's, it's you know, the devil will put a lot of shoulds on you and then make you feel bad or guilty for not being able to accomplish all of those things. You know, whether it's keeping a perfect house, perfect appearance, um, making sure everybody likes you. Don't kid yourself. Not everybody likes you at all. There's no way that everybody's going to like you, and don't even wear yourself out. Make sure that you like you and that God likes you, and that's all you can really have control over is no, knowing that you are genuine, that you are honest, and don't lie to yourself. That you're, you know, oh, I, I'm afraid if I really got to know myself, I wouldn't like myself. You know what? That's a lie, shame planted there, so that you wouldn't ever get to know who you are. And by the way, the way you get to know who you are is to know who God is, to read his word, let the Holy Spirit reveal Jesus to you. And as Jesus is being revealed to you and the word and the power and the character of God is being revealed to you, then you'll get to know who you are. It's kind of like a, like the, the rose just opens, you know, naturally. It's just a natural understanding that comes to you about who you are when you walk in the goodness of God. Um, So let's look at Job for a minute. We're going to kind of look at his question. uh, Where then is my hope? And if we go to Job 17, um, he was in the middle of his fiery trial, and it was quite an extensive trial that included 
his finances, and his family. At the first point, it did not include his physical body. And so within a short amount of time, he not only lost his children, all of them, in a collapsing of a house, and they all died, but he also lost all of his servants, his livestock, his material possessions, his finances, his livelihood. Everything was gone, stolen, killed, wiped out. And Job did not know that there was a um, a wager, if you will, going on between God and the devil as if God makes a wager, but the devil does. And so Job did not know that. By the way, I'm pausing here for a second. If you want to call us, 347-215-8051, give us a call. So where's my hope, Job said in 1715. Let's read that. Where's my hope? As for my hope, who can see it? Will they go down to the gates of Sheol? Shall we have rest together in the dust? So is he going to find hope at the end when he dies, when he goes to the place, the abode of the dead, or in the dust when he returns to dust? Is that where peace is? Some people believe that. They believe this, that suicide, death, brings peace. It brings peace, but mostly we already have that peace. Before we and we don't, and death does not give us the peace. For those who die, who are in the Lord, we enter into our reward, our eternal reward, into the presence of God. That brings peace. For those who die without the Lord, it is the worst decision you ever make. And of course, the devil wants you to make that decision because he is the one who wants to um, trade all the pain and suffering he's amassed in your life for. For a moment of peace, and that would be death, as he would present it to you. So Job begins in chapter 17 with, My spirit is broken, my days are extinguished. Now this is a man who's right there at the bottom of the barrel, if you would look at it that way. My spirit is broken. Um, The Bible says in Proverbs, A broken spirit, who can bear? I think our spirits contain the place, carry the container for hope and joy and peace and looking forward to uh, having the energy um, to believe, to live. The, the source of life is really the, the, the life of the flesh is in the blood, but I think the life of the, uh, our, our being is in our spirit and it's, it's connected with love. And so he says, my spirit is broken. I don't get this. I don't know what's happening. All my circumstances have turned against me. Everything I knew is gone. I used to sit in the gate and judge the people, and they honored me, and now they spit at me. Um, it's totally a reversal. I don't get this. And he, of course, his friends were helping him, wanting him to examine himself. Where's the sin? What would you do wrong? Now, so it's obvious that not every time you're suffering for something is because of a sin you did, because Job was pretty much a righteous man. As a matter of fact, that's how the whole thing got started, when God said to the devil, have you seen my righteous servant Job? So the, the, the devil was really uh, uh, contesting that idea that Job was righteous. And so he wanted him proven. And that's why God permitted what he permitted in letting the devil test him but God also drew lines he said no you can't touch his body on the first round and he didn't say it that way he says you can't touch his body 
Satan sought that on the second round when he decided that was the reason he wasn't able to break Job was because he couldn't touch his body. So then God says, okay, you can touch his body, but you can't take his life. So each time God drew the line and said, this is only as far as you can go. And because God had a purpose for Job too. And, and, you know, part of your fiery trial, you think, well, what is the purpose of this thing? What good will come out of this? All it's doing is draining me. I mean, some of you are locked in such places of despair and regret, or it looks like there's absolutely, you're locked in the prison houses of Satan, and it looks like there's no hope for you. Depression, addiction, uh, mental illness, schizophrenia, paranoid schizophrenic, uh, pain, um, uh, rejection by, by family members, loss, divorce, financial ruin. Your life is in your estimation, it's over, even if you have enough sense of mind left to determine that it's over, which is even another level of despair beyond consciousness and mind understanding. You're so locked in, you don't even know you're locked in. You're so lost, you don't even know you're lost. You're so imprisoned, you've accepted it, and you don't even see there's another life for you. That's pretty down there. That's pretty broken. So, But, but Job says, and he's he's pondering these things. His friends are coming. They're examining his life, of course, and we all know about how that went. And they were basically trying to find a fault with him because they wanted to prove karma. They wanted to prove that it was okay. I mean, there's a reason for it, Job, and it's because you weren't being good. You had sin in your life. So karma says, basically, if you want good things to happen, you be good. You do good things. So if you plant onions, you pick onions. Yeah, that's true. You plant onions, you may pick onions, but you may not. You may get a crop failure. You may get a, a hailstorm. You may get a worm eating up your onions. So it's not always a for sure deal. But you won't, it's for sure that if you plant onions in that spot where you plant the onion looking for an onion, you will not get a carrot. In other words, the law is really a law of kinds. Things aren't going to switch on you. You're not going to plant a radish and pick a tomato in that same spot. So, but in karma, it says if you want good things to happen to you, you be good. It's very simplistic. If you're bad, bad things will happen to you. Um, well, there's that. that's all true, it's, but it's half true. Because a lot of times, very, very bad things happen to very, very good people. And so how do you explain that? That's called the persecution of the righteous. You know, that's called the devil is wa- walking and working in this equation. Um, so if you're just using karma, which they were, the friends, well, you must have sinned because otherwise there's no explanation for this. This is... Only explanation is because you had some secret sin going on in your life and you didn't tell us about it. And now God is exposing it. And there you go. Well, at the very end of all of this, it's very interesting in chapter 40 where God tells Job to pray for his friends because if he doesn't, God's going to smash them because God says they did not speak that which is right concerning me. In other words, they were blaming God or putting all of this bad stuff that was happening to Job. They were putting it back on God because God is crabby, God is legalistic, God is judgmental, God is unhappy, and God is just looking for a fault, and that's why God is doing this to you. That's what they're saying. God is doing this to you. But the truth is, very obviously from God's point of view, that the devil was doing this to them. And yet, if you don't put the devil in the equation, like a lot of people don't now, especially even in the church you know, we've relegated the devil to some um, figment of our imagination or some, I don't know. Even Hollywood seems to have a better 
understanding of who the devil is than the church. At least they've got him being a force. They've got him being diabolical. They've got him, you know, hideous and heinous. heinous. But in the church, we don't much, oh, we don't want to talk about him. We don't want to give him too much, you know, power. We don't, we just deny and, and want to delete what we don't like. You don't, if you don't put the devil in the equation, nothing makes sense and God looks insane. Let's stop and think about that. If you don't put the devil in this equation, then God looks insane and nothing makes sense. Because the equation goes like this, God plus me, plus the devil, all of us operating in this earthly sphere, operating equal. On the other side of that, we, we have chaos and pain and crisis and trauma and hatred and violence and murder. And that's really not because God is doing it. It's because God votes for us, always. The devil votes against us, always. And you and I, because they've already voted. Now you and I come into the voting booth and we cast the determining ballot. Are we going to believe what God says and live by faith in the promises of God? Or are we going to believe what the devil says and seek immediate gratification at the expense of eternal destruction? You know, um, I'm not a hellfire and brimstone preacher by any means, but I, I, it's, but that doesn't mean that we exhale out of the equation and that the devil doesn't, isn't real. The devil is extremely real. God put us here on this earth and the devil snatched our garden from us and the whole thing that went with it, the authority, our offspring. And from that time, this, the, the original sin event in the garden until this, Really, nothing has changed at the core of what's going on. Yeah, we have nicer homes we may live in. We may now plant gardens and live in big cities. We may drive fancy cars. We may think we have control. We have, you know, the latest gadget and device known to man to commute and communicate with our friends. But basically at the core, we still have the issue of sin, lost need salvation, need God, eternal life. As a matter of fact, if you have looked at all or listened even a little bit to the devil's fabrications of how he explains what's happened in this world and, you know, puts it, you know, gives his explanation. He he gives you a hundred, a thousand different, or more than a thousand, probably millions, of explanations of how we got here, who we are, What's supposed to happen to us? You know, we can ascend to Godhood if we just do this and that. And everything the devil gives is built on blackness and death. And they and he's called the angel of light. But everything he offers is dressed to de- deceive. He's, he counterfeits everything God has. And his stuff, to believe his Gospels, you can pick any one. Now, isn't that in itself right there kind of a kind of a uh, an indication wouldn't that be kind of a suspicious red flag that he's got um, let's just say he's got a thousand different versions of the story of how we got here giants aliens on the backs of crystals um uh you know of alien pollination um evolution uh all that stuff i mean just anything you want to pick it, how do you know you got the right one of those thousand and doesn't matter i suppose it doesn't because they're all stupid but why aren't they more appealing than the simple in the beginning God created? I, in the beginning, and God sent his son. You know, we're all into, um, you know, the, the movies. 
you know, the rescue. And a lot of the movies are a rescue from outer space of some sort. We've got Thor. We've got, you know, I don't even know. But, you know, all these kinds of stories. And that's fine. We're all excited. And Thor comes down and saves the maiden. And he saves the city. And he saves the town. And he he gets the bad guy. And, you know, there's a battle. And everybody's happy at the end because he wins. And we don't have any problem with that. We said, well, that's just the movies. Well, that's what we want. We are really into the Savior, the notion of a Savior. I mean, it's built right into us to look for a Savior. I mean, they can even redress Harry Potter as a Savior of sorts. You know what I'm saying? It's like everybody can be a Savior. We'd like that idea of being saved, rescued. And why? Because that's what God did. But in the story that we're given in the Bible, that becomes mundane, that becomes churchy, that becomes uh, unappealing, that becomes stuffy, that becomes boring. Why is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel of grace and power and purpose and meaning and hope, stuffy and boring, if not because the devil has painted over it his own gospels and fed them to the church? Um, do you get this? God is still God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of grace. It is undefiled. It doesn't change. It's the, the devil has given us a zillion own versions, which are all a bunch of junk. Now, here's how you're going to be able to tell the difference. One simple, simple test. And it's true for nature. It's true for the spirit, in the natural and spiritual. This is the test. By their fruits, you shall know them. Whether you're trying to figure out if this person you're dealing with is honest or this this corporation is noteworthy and good, this bank is, is good, this church is right, this preacher is the right one, this is the right gospel, by their fruits you shall know them. And if the fruit that's coming down into your life, check it out, be honest with yourself, don't kid yourself, don't lie to yourself because there's no point to it. If it brings uh, anxiety, anxiety, agitation, uh, annoyance, restlessness, um, drivenness, it's not the right gospel. And some people are driven believing they're working for the kingdom of God. And that drivenness, they're driven to fulfill their, their destiny or their call or whatever. That in itself is a deception because God does not drive the sheep. He didn't drive the apostles. As a matter of fact, when he hang, hung out with them and walked around and did this, it seemed like they had no schedule. It seemed like they were always on time, but they never hurried anywhere. They were four days late for Lazarus's death. I mean, they came into Jerusalem at a different time than they were supposed to be coming in. I mean, they just kind of, they weren't driven. They didn't force their marches. They didn't walk all night to get there on time. They didn't drive themselves to do anything. They just did what was supposed to be done in the very moment that they were in. And that's kind of life I believe we need to live now. We, we, that's, the, that's life now, as God would have it. But if we're, we're driven you know, to stop this, to, to fix this, to uh, make this happen, drivenness is not a fruit of the Spirit. Dri- purpose-driven church is not, not a work of the Holy Spirit. You can, you can, that's, a, that's, a, that's labor, that's work, that's crafted to appeal to the drivenness, the soul, the self-help, self-improvement, I can do this, I can take care of myself. That's really written to appeal to distrust. You don't trust God to do his work in you. You're not his workmanship creating Christ Jesus unto good works. You're your own workmanship created by you know your own self-effort and glorious whatever to change, to fix, 
to uh, improve. Your self-improvement is a waste of time. It really is. You don't need to do that. Go back to the fruit of the Spirit. Where are you at peace? What brings you peace in your world? What brings you joy? And is it okay to be joyful? Absolutely, because that is our strength. And you know, when you are resting and rejoicing and joyous in the Lord, you're actually slamming the devil and his own turf. You're really defeating him because he's trying everything he can to rile you up and get you on drugs and get you dead and make you, you know, entice you to eat stupid food and become addicted to this and that. Addiction is a demon. It's a spirit. And I know I'm kind of rambling, but I'm not really rambling. Stand, or I'm giving you the opportunity to understand that life can be understood. It can make sense. And it has to reduce down to the love of God. It has to reduce down to peace, truth, justice, and mercy, and wisdom. So God's wisdom dwells with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. You have access to God's wisdom, God's understanding, God's knowledge, what to do, when to do. And he even promises, he says, even if you're a little confused about it, he says, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. So wisdom dwells with, God's wisdom dwells with holiness. Now, there is such a thing as man's wisdom, but in James, James calls that demonic in James uh, 3.15. Hold on, I think I can read that to you. So we're not looking at man's calculations and man's wisdom. We're looking at the wisdom that brings forth peace. Um, verse James um, 3, we'll start with 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth or lie to yourself. What's this selfish ambition? This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. Demonic. So demonic wisdom is the, is the wisdom of this world because it comes from the God of this world who pre- prints most of the books of this world and brings most of the instruction and, and self-helps and organizations and social services and systems. The God of this world who brings you what would appear to be wisdom or, or temporarily, but it's demonic. It's this, not descended from above. It's from this earth. For where Envy and self-seeking exists. Confusion and every evil thing will be there. So that's selfishness. Envy, jealousy, self-seeking, self-ambition. I got to take care of myself. What does it breed? Confusion. And not only confusion, but every, every evil thing will be there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Pure, that means it's one. It's not contaminated. It's not filled with a lot of other agendas. It's one. Then peaceable, that means it truly is okay with being at peace. It's not looking for a fight. It's not looking to agitate a situation. It's not looking to boast. It is gentle. That means it's, it's waiting, kind, patient, knowing, satisfied, content, willing to yield. In other words, giving up its place in line because it believes that it's going to be okay anyway. I'm not going to lose anything by giving my place to you. I'm not going to lose anything in my life by being nice to you. It's full of mercy, you know, wishing and wanting the better for the other guy. Mercy and good fruit. Good fruit, that means out of it comes the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace and joy, um, gentleness, goodness, temperance, long-suffering. Without partiality, in other words, it's not looking to 
uh, get win favor uh, from the, the elite or the high and mighty. It's okay with living with the common people without partiality. Doesn't pick. Doesn't you know prefer to sit next to someone who's well dressed as opposed to someone who's just coming off the street. It's because you see in that person who come off the street and the person well dressed that they both have a soul, and those souls are not dressed as their bodies or appear as their bodies might appear. And so don't be a fooled by the appearance of things. And it's without hypocrisy. In other words, you, what I'd say to you, I'm honest. I tell you who I am. I'm not trying to fool you. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm not trying to pretend I'm something I'm not because I don't need to. I don't need to pretend because I'm okay. I am okay with who I am and God is with me. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So in this world of terrorism and anxiety and fear and frustration and lawlessness, and by the way, that's one of the signs of the end. Jesus said in the last days the love of many would grow cold and that would be a lot of lawlessness going on. There would be um, distrust. There would be cunning, craft, uh, manipulation, uh, vying for power, um, you know, thinking of yourself, putting yourself first. Who who really cares? I mean, God knows my heart. God is the rewarder of the righteous. If this world rewards you a little bit, what is that compared to the rewards that the Lord will give to those who make peace, who are righteous? And I'm not saying peace is the same as tolerance. I'm not saying we've got to shut up and put up. I'm saying peace means that there is an assurance inside of you that you are okay. And then you can, with that strength, that peace, that joy, you can stand against things that would demand you agree with them that are not okay. Um, And there's a lot of false peace. There will be another sign of this end days. Is that false peace that everybody's seeking for? So what, what do we want false? What do we want peace for? So I can do my own thing without being bothered. So I can, you know, have my life, my career, my family, my retirement, my RV, I can go to, uh, you know, retire and, and travel around. I can do whatever I want. So that's not the point. That's not the point of this life. The point of this life is to know the Lord God, to walk in his wisdom and his understanding, as Job found out. So we want not the devilish wisdom, which is built on flattery and fall and folly and uh, pretension, um, and choosing to follow every wind of doctrine. And by the way, speaking of wind of doctrine, there's a lot of wind blowing in these last days that Jesus warned about too, even in the church. I'm just going to, um, you know, I suppose we could save this for another time. Um, but the wind of doctrine, the wind of revival, the wind of God's over here, God's over there. Jesus said this in Matthew 24. As a matter of fact, we should just pay attention to what Jesus said. Even if you just read the red letters of the Bible, you'd be way better off than not reading it or skimming it or whatever you're doing. He says here um, in Matthew 24, verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, uh, this is in regard to the question the disciples had asked about the, the end of the world. When are you coming uh, and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many and you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, be not troubled. Um, he says, um, um, he, he who endures to the end will be saved, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached unto all the world as a witness to all the nations, 
and then the end will come. Um, many will be offended, hate one another, false prophets, rise up, deceive many. Um, some are saying he's over here, he's over there. Uh, he said, don't go there. Woe to them who are you know, chasing after these various apparitions of where Jesus might be. Oh, he's in this, he's over here, he's in this city, he's in that town, he's in this field, he's over. You know what? The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Spend some time with him and you'll have the revival you're looking for really seriously. And you won't be so easily deceived by what the devil is setting up as counterfeit, counterfeit revival, counterfeit presence of God, counterfeit gospel. So I know we've um, didn't hear much from you guys today. Of course, you probably are just so, um, you know, listening. What can I say? A couple of announcements we'd like to make. Um, We're going to be doing Rescue Radio now in the morning from 10 o'clock to 11 on Tuesdays, the Lord willing. And we hope that you can pass this word on and join us, or as this will also be in the archive. So you can listen live or you can listen as you go. Um, Just download and anytime on the archive. Um, So uh, a couple of things, announcements we got going on here. Um, Number one, we are going to be having... um, Karen Steen Finch with us. She's a, a herbalist and expert in a lot of medicines and foods and nutrition and, uh, you know, how to get your body back healthy. She's going to be with us on April 22nd and 29th at our Crystal office, uh, Life Recovery office in Crystal. You can go to our website, liferecovery.com simply, and find the schedule, find stuff that you're looking for, find our address or phone number, and or leave us an email. And I would really encourage you guys to get up and put your email in, you know, connect with us so you can stay in touch. We don't wear people out with information, but at least you'll know where we're going to be, what we're going to be doing, if, you're, if you care, if you want to be there, because we've got some fun things coming up. And then on um, May 1st and 2nd, we're going to be in River Falls, uh, Wisconsin, and we're going to be doing a workshop over there on relationships, and if you want more information on that, you will probably have to check the website. Uh, I'm not sure the address, but it's with Kathy and Dennis DeMar over in River Falls. And that's going to be um, Friday night and Saturday, May 1st and the 2nd. Then on May 9th, which is the day before Mother's Day, we're going to be back with Kids Troubled Kids Part 3 in Rogers at the Holiday Inn in Rogers from 9 to 3 um, with an hour for or a lunch break. And so we're going to be having Karen Steen Finch with us on that one as well. She's going to be talking about restoring health to your children, getting them back healthy, and for yourselves as well. So nutrition, health, um, and there's a lot of stuff going on in that arena to take the health, the strength, the vitality of your children from them. So you want to be aware of those things. And those are all basically free. There is no charge, but we do require registration at the Rogers one because there's limited seating. Um, So for information, you can call 763-785-4234 or same number if you want to make an appointment, 763-785-4234. And we'd love to hear you. Uh, If you have comments, it's very encouraging. Uh, Questions, email us at um, info, I-N-F-O, at liferecovery.com. If you have questions or topics that you'd like us to talk about or uh, comments, info at liferecovery.com. So God bless you. Have a wonderful Tuesday morning. And um, 
Think about getting your garden planted. God bless. Bye-bye.